Good morning. Boy, we've had a lot happen today so far, haven't we? Can you say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah. How many of you read your Immerse Bible this week? Let me see your hand. Okay. Uh, don't show your hand on this, but some of you got a little behind, and, uh, and I know that's okay. I just really always want to encourage you, if you have gotten a bit behind in it, you know, do something to catch up. But it, uh, this week we are starting week number five. We've finished uh, Acts, Thessalonians. This week we start first, we do all of 1 Corinthians and part of 2 Corinthians. It's actually in your Immersed Bible, pages 125 to 158. It's not that much. You've got five days to do all that. I just really want you to be a part of reading with us and that we're reading together. So I'd rather you catch up later if you have to, but, and that's okay. There'll always be time to do that. But let's start on week five of this week. How many of you believe in the Word of God? Let's see, can you say amen to that? All right. Can I talk to you this morning? Throughout history, it's always been a point of interest, and the curiosity of scientists about it has been intriguing. Some have tried to debunk the theory, while others certainly have embraced it, and you can decide for yourself after your own research what you think. A great spotlight was put on it in 1936 when Harry Rimmer wrote a book which emerged into our pop culture, which was entitled, The Harmony of Science and Scripture. And every once in a while, portions of that book that was written a long time ago reemerged on the internet, like the following that appeared actually 20 years ago. It went like this. I think one of the most amazing things that God has for us today happened recently to our astronauts and space scientists at Greenbelt, Maryland. They were checking the position of the sun, moon, and planets out in space and where they would be 100 years from now and 1,000 years from now. And they needed to know this so that we won't send up a satellite and have it bump into something later on in its orbits. We have to lay out the orbits in terms of the life of the satellite and where the planets will be so the whole thing will not bog down. And they ran the computer measurements forwards in time and back in time over the centuries, but somehow the computer came to a halt. They had to look at millennia past and millennia forward to have all they needed for the proper calculations. The computer stopped and put up a red signal, which meant that there was something wrong either with the information fed into it or with the results as compared to the standards. They called in the service department to check it out, and they said, well, what's wrong? They said, well, we found with all of this looking and, uh, at uh, time past and time before, we found that there is a day missing in space in elapsed time. And they scratched their heads and pondered, but there was no answer. Finally, one of the gentlemen who was standing there was a Christian. And he said, you know, I was raised in Sunday school, and they talked about a day when the sun stood still. And while they didn't believe him, they didn't have an answer either, so they said, okay, show us. He got a Bible and went back to the book of Joshua, where they found a pretty ridiculous statement for anyone who has really common sense. They found... Uh, there they found the Lord saying to Joshua, Fear them not, I have delivered them into thy hand. There shall not be a man of them stand before thee. Because Joshua was concerned because he was surrounded by the enemy. And if darkness fell, then the Amorites would overpower them. So Joshua asked the Lord to make the sun stand still. 
And that's right, according to Joshua chapter 10, the sun stood still and the moon stayed and did not go down about a whole day. And the astronauts and scientists had to stand there and agreed, there is the missing day. How many of you still believe the Word of God today? Okay, so you're, so you're with me this morning? It was no one less than Albert Einstein who said, the more I study science, the more I believe in God. We've looked very briefly at this story before. In fact, I think it was sometime last year. And I, I'm not sure I can tell you exactly why. Just there's a prompting in my own heart to visit this passage again. If so if you will allow me to revisit it with you this morning and share some things that the Lord has just dropped in my own heart in Joshua chapter 9. And let's see what the Lord is saying to us distinctively today. Let me ask this question. How many of you, by show of hands, would join me in saying, I've made some pretty bad decisions in my life? Okay, the rest of you can leave. That's okay. <laughs> You've made some pretty bad decisions. Well, let me show you th the context of this miracle. There's a lot to be learned about what happened in all of this situation and in this miracle. And I want you to see it. And do I have a motivation and do I have an end game here and an end plan? Yes, I do. I want you to leave this place raising a hallelujah today. I want you to leave this place with your faith enlarged. And no matter if you have walked into this house with your face downcast, we're saying to you, why so downcast, O my soul? Hope thou in God. And I want you to leave this place reminded what an incredible God we serve. Is there a hallelujah to that today? Because I know we have people who are in a place who might be thinking, you know, I've done this, and I've done that, and I've made this wrong decision, I've made that wrong decision, and now I have to pay the consequences while God seems to just be leaving me to myself. But I want to take you to this passage to let you see this miracle where a really good guy made a really bad mistake, and yet God intervened in the midst of all of it. And I'm praying that hope will arise in our hearts today, that we will truly be able to raise a hallelujah before the service is over. Now, those of you who spent years with me in choir, how many of you were ever in the choir under my leadership? Raise your hand. Okay. It's about half the church. Okay. <clears throat> it was not uncommon for me to teach you a song starting at the end and then working toward the beginning. How many of you remember that? It didn't, always, it didn't always make a lot of sense to everybody. And I, all I could tell you is sometimes it was easier to show you the end and where we were and teach the end of the song, and then we would build all the other parts. to that, Well, that's the way I'm going to approach this this morning, if you will allow me. I'm reading to you from the book of Joshua. He was one of the greatest Jewish generals to ever have lived in the history of Israel. And when you read the life of Joshua, many of you have studied it, there's not one blemish in his record except for this one really bad decision which coincides with the sun standing still. And here's what the Bible says about that miracle day. I'm going to read in Joshua chapter 10, I'm at verse 14, and it says this, there has never been a day like this, one before or since, when the Lord answered such a prayer. There's never been a day before or since when God intervened into his own creation because of the prayer of one man. So let me very quickly give you the who, what, and why of the story and lay the, the background as quickly as I can. The what of the miracle is basically that God gave them more daylight. They just got more time so that they could win the battle. They could see the enemy, they could complete their strategy, and they could win the battle. The who is an enemy called the Amorites who weren't even on their radar. 
Israel's having to fight a group of people that they never even thought they would have to fight. That's the who. And the why, well, that's going to blow you away as we get to the story. Joshua chapter 10 is a miracle that is needed because of a bad decision that Joshua made. How many of you have ever needed a miracle because of a bad decision? Mm -hmm. Nervous laughter through the room. God is going to give him a miracle, as we're going to see, because he really, really blew it with a bad decision in Joshua chapter 9, the chapter before. So what's happened is Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He has them right to the edge of the promised land, and he passes the baton to Joshua, and he says, I'm not allowed to go any further, but you're going to be the one that will take them on into the promised land. Joshua takes the baton, steps into the Jordan River, and is about to face his first battle. And many of you know what that first battle was. It's the story of the city with the giant wall called Jericho. And the walls came. Yes. And we see Joshua and the Israelites on a roll. They're defeating everyone. It's just working for them. Everything's working. God's hand is upon the children of Israel. They're about to take over the promised land. And all of a sudden, as word started spreading on how they were defeating all of their enemies and they were winning, 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 winning everywhere, there was a group of very, a very cunning group of people called the Gibeonites. Say that word. Who said, if we don't come up with a plan... We don't come up with a strategy better than theirs. They're going to beat us too because, look, they're, they're, they're winning everywhere. So here's what we'll do. Let's try to trick them into believing that we're from a far away country and we just want to be in alliance with them. So let's, let's, let's see if we can convince them of that narrative. But the truth was the Gibeonites were from just around the corner, not very far away. Joshua chapter 9 tells the story. Joshua chapter 10 tells the miracle. So here's chapter 9, verse 3. When the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn-out patched sandals and what a plan. They put on worn-out patched sandals and ragged clothes, and the bread they took them took with them, was dry and moldy. Crunch, crunch. Look at all the trouble they went to. They went to a second-hand shop. It's worded a little different in the King James. They went to a second-hand shop. They found old tattered clothes, and they sewed on some patches, and they got some old, dry, crusty bread. They found their oldest, worn-out pair of shoes, all to make the Israelites think that they had come from many, many, many miles, and they were worn out, and they looked the way they did because of how far they'd had to travel, just so they could come and build an alliance. The Bible says in verse 6, when they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. And the truth is, the Gibeonites were trying to dupe them. Is that a word we use in Texas? You, understand, you know what it means. Look at our old clothes. Look at our worn out shoes. Look at these patched up wineskins. Look at this bread. It was fresh and hot straight out of the oven when we left. But look at it now. And so what did Joshua do? Church, Bethesda, here's the part we need to hear carefully. Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. So the Israelites examined the dry, crusty bread, examined their food. But what? 
Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. All in favor say aye. I didn't mean for you to say aye. But I am wondering this morning if these words echo in anyone's heart. They did not consult the Lord. Think of the decision they were making, a covenant, a binding oath they were making, and they did not consult the Lord. My guess is that there are people sitting in this room this morning who've also made some really big decisions without consulting the Lord. And as you sit here this morning, you probably find yourself in a situation where you're still paying consequences for it. Well, I want to help you today. But in helping you, I've got to say some pretty straightforward things to you. And the first one is this. There is a danger when you leave God out of your decision-making. Let me say it again to the balcony. There is a danger when you leave God out of your decision-making. Thank you. You are in huge danger when you leave God out and decide to make the decision yourself. And in Joshua's case, it was who he was to be connected with and who he was to walk with for a long time. Single people, listen to me. This old pastor, before you get married... Consult the Lord before you make a covenant with someone. I don't care how fine he is. I don't care how hot she is. You need God's opinion on the matter. But he makes me feel so good. She makes me feel so complete. Wonderful. But you need God's opinion on the matter. Because all those warm fuzzies that you're experiencing right today and those little cute little red and pink hearts that are floating over your head aren't going to last forever. Do I get a witness in this room today? You need to know who the Lord wants you to marry. The famous old pastor, formerly of First Baptist Church of Dallas, W.A. Criswell, said it this way. We go further on our knees than any other way. There are a thousand mistakes that we make which we would never have made if we'd only taken the time to pray. There are hasty decisions we follow after, hot and intemperate remarks that we make, false goals that we pursue, and lost souls that we never win, all because we did not take the moment to consult the Lord, pray, and ask for His divine direction. And yet, haven't we all been there? Even as believers for many, many decades or years, haven't we been there? And let me just, I just got to insert this. It's one of my favorite scriptures. I know it's probably yours too. I hear it often. It's why we have this admonition from this favorite verse of ours in the Proverbs, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean in and I just love it when you preach the sermon for me. That's so much better. I was looking at that in depth in uh, one of my commentaries this week. It reminds me, uh, reminded me of this. I've, you've probably heard this. Trust does not come from the head. Trust comes from the heart. Trust is not the result of reasoning. 
Trust is the result of believing. Let me say that again. Trust does not come from the head. It comes from the heart. Trust is not the result of reasoning. It's the result of believing. Believing in what? Believing in a God for whom nothing is impossible. Believing in a God who does all things well. Believing the God who says, I am your helper. How many are thankful for it today? And so when Solomon, in that proverb that I just quoted that we all love and know so well, when he uses the phrase, in all your ways, he's not referencing a main highway. He's saying in all your ways. In fact, when you dig into that word, you find out rather that it's a word that was used for little goat paths made from the hooves of goats, which means this. Trust in the Lord and in all of your ways, not only on the big decisions, but on the little ones as well. The little goat paths, not just the 820 freeway of your life. Consult the Lord because he's the one inviting you to ask his opinion. I can't help but wonder how this might have turned out differently for Joshua if he'd only paused and said, let's ask the Lord about this decision. I've lived a lot of years, as you can tell, Learned a lot of lessons, and I'm going to give you just a couple of them. If you're writing anything down, this is something to write down. Fast feet are very dangerous. Say that with me. I'm going to give you Proverbs 19.2, but I'm going to, give it to, I'm going to show you from, from three different versions. It just all sort of fortifies the idea. Proverbs 19.2, in the message, it just says this, haste makes waste. In the New King James, it says, and he sins who hastens with his feet. And in the ESV, it says, whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. So what what are we saying and, and why do I bring that up to you today? Well, I do it for this reason. If you're facing a decision with an uncomfortable deadline, can I just help you today? The answer is no if you've heard nothing from the Lord. If you've got an uncomfortable, if you're buying a car, you know how they love to do, get you in there, and it's, the deal is only good until you walk out the door? The answer is no, unless you've heard from the Lord. If you are called to make a rush decision, it is usually a rash decision. And the only place you need to rush to is not into a decision, but into the presence of God to get God's mind and His plan and His will and His way on your situation. Well, Joshua's fast feet brought him to a place where he makes a covenant with people that he should never have made. Dan, what's a covenant? Well, think of it in our modern, I would use a modern day term like a contract. Something that binds us, whether, uh, whether by our name, using our name to bind, or by a handshake or a piece of paper. That's what a, that's what a covenant is. It's something that, a, a binding agreement. Something else I've learned, this is something else you should jot down. Prayerless decisions will add more battles that could have been avoided. Oh, I feel like I've heard some experience in the room here this morning. Prayerless decisions will add more battles that could have been avoided. If you just would have prayed in the first place, you wouldn't be having to fight some of the battles that you're fighting today. Because when you make a covenant with somebody, their enemies become your enemies. Their assets become your assets, and their liabilities become your liabilities. Quite often, their debt becomes your debt, 
And what did this covenant mean to Joshua? It meant the Gibeonite battles also became Israel's battles that day. Israel has, as I mentioned a while ago, they'd been, they'd been on a roll. I mean, they were tearing through the place, winning, 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 knocking through this, victory after victory after victory, but were thrown off course by a decision that they never prayed about. Let me tell you one of the dangers that we run when you have success. The danger of success is that we start to think we've got it going on. We start thinking, well, I, I got this. Look at the skills I used to took that one down and took that one down and this happened and, you know, we're kind of getting good at this. And when that happens, that is an extremely dangerous position to be in because it means you start counting on yourself and not relying on the Lord. We get cocky, we get arrogant, and we, we fail to remember that we must humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord for him to lift us up. And not only did Joshua have to fight the battles that God had prescribed for him, but now he also has to fight the Gibeonite battles because of the mistakes that they had made and the, the, the lifestyle that they had chosen. All of those problems are now heaped upon Joshua. And in just three days, Joshua finds out that these people are not from a faraway country, but rather from around the corner. It was all a lie. It was all a scheme. The story goes on like this in Joshua chapter 10, verse 6. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once, save us, help us. For all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. They're going to go try to rescue these Gibeonites that they've made this covenant with. And so now, where do we find Brother Joshua? He's in a mess. He's in quite a predicament. He now knows he's been duped. He now knows he's been lied to. So he's got to sit and weigh out, do I honor the covenant that I made under deceptive terms, or does he cry foul because they lied to him? Joshua had to be thinking, do I, do I really have to do this? Since you really didn't tell me the, the whole truth about you, you weren't fully forthcoming in everything. It's kind of like, you know, you get married, then you discover he snores, You get married and you find out after marriage that she can't cook. And here's the worst one. You find out that he doesn't squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom of the tube. You get married, then you find out that you had not worked out the whole bank account situation ahead of time. Or how about, how about this? Can you break the marriage when you find out he has six kids in Oklahoma? It's got to be the same question that Joshua was asking. Can I get out of this since they weren't honest with me? You know, God, they came to me completely under false pretenses. Let's just be honest about it, folks. People will look, we, when I'm talking about people, I mean us, we will look for a loophole on anything. Am I right about it? There was a man who was doing really well on his diet However, every day that he drove to work, he went right by that bakery that just, the smell that came from that bakery was just so amazing. So he got smart. In order to keep his diet, he decided, okay, I can't drive that way. The temptation is so strong. I, I, oh, I can't, I can't do it. So he rerouted himself to take another way to get to work. 
But one morning, he got to thinking about something and got absent-minded and forgot about taking the alternate route, and he drove once again right by the bakery. He smelled the, bas- the pastries, and he smelled those wonderful smells, and he said this, Lord, this is no accident. <laughs> Jesus, it's up to you. And then this is the prayer he wrote in his journal. He said, if you want me to have, this is going to be dangerously close to home for you. If you want me to have any of those delicious items, then please create a parking place directly in front of the bakery for me. And then his testimony went like this. And he said, and sure enough, on the eighth time around the block, that parking place was there. You can find the loophole for anything. You've done that before, haven't you? Can't you just see Joshua calling in the Jewish lawyers? Look at this. Can't you get me out of this? But church, hear me. You give God the opportunity to do something miraculous when you keep your word. It's not a small thing. You give God the opportunity to do something miraculous when you keep your word even if it was a bad decision. Hear me carefully. The miracle was not getting Joshua out of the covenants, which you and I would have tried to go for. The miracle was not getting Joshua out of the covenants. The miracle was God showing up in the bad decision that he made. That was the miracle, and that's what we're going to see. It's about what's about to happen here in chapter 10. The Gibeonites deceived. Joshua didn't pray, didn't consult the Lord, but Joshua stayed. And God showed up because Joshua knew that integrity was important. He knew his word was important. It's just like Dr. David Jeremiah, the wonderful pastor of Shadow Mountain Church in San Diego. He says this. Listen to me. Look right here. Integrity is keeping a commitment even after the circumstances have changed. You didn't like that too much, did you? Integrity is keeping a commitment even after the circumstances have changed. Joshua honored what God honors, and that is covenant. In Psalm 15, 4, the message says this, you keep your word even when it costs you, is what Psalm 15, actually verse 5 says. Keep your word even when it costs you. You may be desperately trying to get out of a situation, but I am suggesting to you this morning on the, on the basis of the word of the Lord that God may be saying to you this morning, and you need to hear the word of the Lord, don't, you don't need to get out of the situation, you need to get God into the situation that you're going through. So here's what Joshua does. goes to battle. He's about to lose on this extra battle that he's taken on, so he prays. He prayed in the battle. I want you to note that with me. Joshua knew how to pray in the battle. Far too many of us don't start praying until we're feeling the effects of the consequences. Then we start praying. He knew how to pray in the battle. And so Joshua prayed in chapter 10 when he should have prayed in chapter 9. Don't you think if you had been God, God should have said to him, well, buddy, you're on your own. I would have helped you if you'd come to me in chapter 9. 
If you hadn't gone ahead and made that commitment, that covenant, without even asking me, without even consulting me, that's, that's what you and I probably would have said to him. That's what we would have done. But aren't you glad God is not like us? Because God, what God says is this, because you kept your word, I'm going to show up and I'm going to help you. And when Joshua prayed in chapter 10, this is what God does. He made the sun to stand still. Now, let me just quickly, I know what time it is. I'm trying to hurry here. Can I just finish this and you'll stay with me? I want you to get this. Let me help you with this for a minute. The sun is the largest and most massive object in the entire universe. Okay, how big, Pastor Dan? Its diameter going across the circle of the sun is 864,000 miles. That's the diameter. You could line up 109 planet Earths to go across the diameter of the sun. Are you getting this, what I'm saying? The circumference of the sun is 2.7 million miles, which means it's so massive you could throw 1.3 million planet Earths to fill up the big ball called the sun. And the sun is always moving at 43,000 miles per hour. How many of you would say, that's pretty big? How many of you would say, that's Texas big? Let me see your hand. Here's what I think God did. I think God said, you made a bad decision, Joshua. You made a terrible covenant. Pastor Dan, you didn't pray about that decision you were making, and you should have prayed about that. And I believe God shows up in this story just to prove to you and me that he can take the largest, most massive object in the entire universe and make it do whatever he wants to make it do just to show you and me that all things work together for good. You know what he was proving to you and me? Every time you say, but you don't understand my boss. He's a big man. Bigger than the sun. Pastor, now I've got big debt. Bigger than the sun. My kids have got big problems. Bigger than the... I may not be the one you want to come counsel with if you're coming in to say, I just don't think I can make it through this marriage. Because let me tell you what I'm going to say. You may think you made a mistake, but dear one, he makes the sun to stand still. I don't think I'm going to make it out of this debt, so I'm going to go ahead and, and claim bankruptcy. He made the sun stand still. You may be sitting here today, I don't want to do this Christian thing anymore. I want out of it because the battles are too big. He made the I don't think I can make it here in Texas. It's just too tough here. He made the, and he made it to shine hot in Texas. I don't think I can do this anymore, church. He made the sun stand still. You tell me your problem. Tell me about the mistake you've made, and I'm going to tell you about a God who made the sun stand still. People in this room this morning who are about to get a divorce from a covenant, and God is saying, you didn't even invite me to come in. Nor was I ever invited or welcomed. 
into that marriage. And God would say to you this morning, you may not have prayed when you should have, and now you're in a mess, but this is a great time to start praying because you don't have to become one of those people that your kids go to one parent one weekend and another parent the next weekend because God's saying, I can take someone who is a big atheist, who is a big agnostic, who is a big whatever it is, and I can turn the whole thing around. Why? Because he made the sun stand still. Bethesda, even if you prayed too late, he can make the sun stand still. Let me finish with this admonition, Pastor Brent. Three things, just to summarize this for you very quickly. Number one, with every decision you have to make, start with prayer. Number two, does the Bible speak to this issue? Number three, Did you get wisdom from people who have more journey than you and that are wiser than you? You know what? You and I need people in our life who can know me and not just know me. What does that mean? You and I both need people in our life who can N-O me, not just K-N-O-W me. You know what I'm saying? We don't like it when someone says no. When someone looks like they're blocking our path from doing something that we we want to do. We think we've got the shine on something. We want to do that. You need godly, wise people in your life who can say no to you. And you will respect them and honor them and come under that authority in the name of Jesus. Start with prayer. Go to the word. Then seek counsel from wise people. Now hear me again, it is much better to pray in Joshua chapter 9 than it is in Joshua chapter 10. But here's the joy this morning. If you pray in Joshua chapter 10, God still shows up because he's the one who can make the sun stand still. Somebody say hallelujah. Stand to your feet with me this morning and put your hands together and bless the name of the Lord. Come on, let's worship the God for whom nothing is impossible. Come on, lift your voice and magnify the name of the Lord with me today. Come on. Sing it out. Come on. Oh, Lord. Come on, let's worship him this morning. You set your glory above the heavens and the earth. When I think of all you make, the sun, the moon, and the sun, no praise. Is high enough to express how great you are. Come on, church, lift it up. What a mighty God! Sing it out. Angels bow before. 
What a mighty God we serve. We serve a mighty God we serve. Heaven and earth adore. Come on, raise your hallelujah. Hallelujah. The mighty God we serve, mighty God, angels bow before, what a mighty God, what a mighty God we serve. Heaven and earth adore heaven. The mighty God we serve. Bless the Lord. Tonight in the prayer service at 6 o'clock, we're going to have the privilege of praying for Teen Challenge. It's going to be the focus of our prayer. You need to come for that tonight. Also going to be praying, and even as I was preparing this message this week, we're going to be praying for your individual needs. We do that often in a Sunday night service, but I know many of you are facing some real battles, and maybe you didn't get the Lord's opinion at the, at the beginning of it, but it's time to do it now. If that's the case, just like Joshua, let's come and let's consult the Lord. Let's call upon His name and get His help in the situation that you're in. How many of you think that's a good idea? Say Amen. All right, so that's tonight. Worship, communion, wonderful things happening in the prayer service at 6. I want you to turn next to somebody next to you and say, it was good to be in the house of the Lord today. (laughs) Hallelujah. Have a great afternoon.